On all that move on the earth and all fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. I want you to notice something. Before the fall, it was opposite. All the creatures that God created wanted to be around man. They came to Adam that he might name them. I wish we lived in a pre-fall day for a lot of reasons. But I would love for the birds to come and land on my hand, land on my shoulder, and be able to walk up to those birds and just just, uh, look at them without having to coax them with bird feeders and all of this. Uh, uh, The day will come where the Bible says the lion will lay down with the lamb, and so on and so forth. But notice what happened. The creation, because of sin, was moved from freedom to fear. Creation is afraid of us. Go up to any bird, any animal, unless the animal has been tamed by mankind, and they'll run from you. It's the natural instinct of all created order to run from men, because God did that, right here in verse 2. Everything moving that lives shall be food for you. I've given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. God is there talking about, don't eat anything alive. Don't eat anything alive. You're not a wild animal, you don't kill, you don't eat something while it's alive. He said, don't do that because the life is in the blood. Show respect even to the animals. And I've learned a long time ago, show me somebody cruel to their animal, And that's somebody you need to be careful of. Verse 5. Surely for your lifeblood I'll demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I'll require it. And from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Here God is talking about capital punishment. Look at verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. In the image of God, he made man. So when a man kills a man, when somebody kills another human being, you've killed someone made in the image of God. No matter what you think of them, no matter whether you like them or hate them, and of course, you kill them, you don't like them, whatever you feel about them, they're still made in the image of God. And God, right here, talks about capital punishment. Verse 7, As for you, be fruitful and multiply, Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then, verses 8 through 11, God gives a promise to never again destroy the earth with a flood. Now, he didn't say, I'm not going to destroy it. He just said, not with a flood. How's it going to be destroyed in the last day, everybody? Fire. Peter tells us, and many other places are going to be destroyed by fire. But in uh, verses 8 through 11, God says, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I will establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now God was telling them this for a reason. Because after the flood, it began to rain. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Because God's covenant with man was the rainbow in the sky. He said, every time you see that rainbow, that is my promise to you that I'm not ever again going to destroy the earth with a flood. Why would God do that? Because this was traumatic for mankind. I mean, everybody was gone. All that was left was Noah, his wife, his three sons, their wives. That's all that was left on the earth. That's all that was left. 
And so, don't you know that every time it started to rain, they told their kids about the flood, and they told their kids, and the, and, and the population began to grow? Don't you know that every time it began to rain, there was a little bit of a jitter? Isn't this what happened when everything was destroyed? So God said, when it starts raining, I know you're going to experience some fear because of what happened. So mixed with the rain, you're going to see my covenant promise that it's not going to destroy you. Amen. So you look at verse 12, God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For perpetual generations, I set my rainbow in the cloud. It shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud. And I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So every time you look up and see a rainbow, you need to know that God set that there to tell mankind for the rest of life on earth as we know it, I'm not going to destroy you with a flood. This is my covenant. It's covenant. Amen. Now we come to verses 18 and 19. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These were, these three were the sons of Noah. And from these, say it with me everybody, the whole earth was populated. Now I want you to notice that chapter 10 now, I'm not going to deal with uh, Noah's drunkenness tonight. I might touch on that next week. That's really not the gist of this chapter or the next few that follow. So we'll touch on that later, but now in chapter 10, you're going to find a genealogy of the three sons. Verse 32 sums up chapter 10. And I put it up here so we can all see it together. Let's read it together, can we? There were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations, and from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. Pay close attention to this now. We're going to get a little bit technical, a little bit scientific tonight. It's science class. Okay? Now watch. Watch now. From these, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the nations were divided on the earth when, everybody? After the flood. Now if the whole earth was repopulated by Noah's three sons and their wives. How do you account for the different races? Where did black, brown, yellow, white, and red skin and any other skin colors come from? And we've got to ask ourselves a question here. First, is the word race found in the Bible? Is race found in the Bible? Everybody say with me, no, it's not. The term race does not appear. Here's what scripture does do. Scripture refers to differing peoples by using the terms family, tribe, people, and nation. That's how God refers to what we would call races. Look at the first verse again. These were the what? Families according to their what? Generations in their what? Nations. All right? 
So God uses, instead of using the word race, he uses family, tribe, people, and nation. Scripture groups people according to familial relationships and then into nationalities. Genesis 10 groups genealogies, groups all the genealogies, Genesis 10, by family. The family of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Let's read verse 5 together. From these, the coastland, what? Peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. Now I wrote something here. The better term for race would be varieties of man. Even evolutionary science concludes that all existing varieties of man are members of the same species. I think Acts 17, 26 is very powerful. Let's read it out loud together, can we? And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. That is so powerful. You know I hear in that verse? The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Because look what it's telling us. First of all, black skin, brown skin, yellow skin, white skin, red skin, stick any of them with a pen and red blood. Because God has made from how many bloods? One blood. Every nation. And what did God do with these nations and families of people? He determined their pre-appointed times. Do you know that where you live right now was pre-appointed by God? You know, I'll tell you what, sovereignty blows my mind. Because so many times in the Bible we're told that something was pre-appointed, predetermined, was the pre-counsel of God. And here he's saying even where the different nationalities of people ended up was pre-appointed before time began by God. Mm. Nowhere in the Bible is prejudice based on what we determine as race i.e., color of hair, skin, eyes, or physical characteristics. When God commanded the children of Israel to be a separated people or to utterly destroy other peoples, it was always based on the principle of separation from sin. Never, ever because of race. Now, In Scripture, there are several references to problems in which people with different racial backgrounds were involved. In each case, the instruction is clear that God made no distinction between races as to salvation or blessing. In Numbers 12, 1 through 16, Miriam and Aaron openly criticized Moses for marrying the Ethiopian woman. But the issue was jealousy over Moses' leadership and the criticism was over marrying a foreigner, any foreigner, and not because she was an Ethiopian. Now I want you to say the next statement with me. In God's eyes, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Now I'm going to tell you something, folks. One of the most hellacious, demonic spirits 
to ever attack a people, just take America, is racism. Because there's nothing, nothing true in it. There's nothing true in it. There's not anything true. And we're about to see that tonight. If God tells me we're all of one blood, we're all of one blood. Now watch this. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now read the next part with me. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. He's rich unto who? All. For whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. Both the Old and New Testaments show that God does not place any significance on race. Now, if God doesn't, why would we? Because God, our Father in heaven, does not do it. Watch this. God sees us as one people, as man. Physical characteristics are not a part of God's evaluation of man. What does it say? For man looks on the outward appearance. But what does God do? He looks on the heart. He doesn't look on skin. Now, race, as defined by Webster's Dictionary, is not a biblical term. And nowhere can it be shown that physical characteristics of a people are a reason or a guide to distinguish one from another. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'm going to be real honest here tonight about this. I want, I want um, a multicolored church. I want gumdrops. I think it's a sin, and I don't see how the Spirit of God moves in any church, anywhere, that puts out different skin colors based on that. Because when you do that, if you do that, you're filled with arrogance and pride, you show a gross ignorance of Scripture, and I believe you grieve the Holy Spirit. I've had people come to me, uh, African-American folks and Hispanic folks and say, I went to a certain church and knew. When I walked in, I wasn't welcome. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you what, not here. Because one blood, red blood. It's not green blood, pink blood, blue blood, red blood. And if God doesn't recognize race, he does not. He looks on the heart, not the outer appearance. And he died for everybody. And guess what? You Caucasian folks, your savior wasn't your skin color. He was olive. He was Jewish. Now watch this. The search to understand the origin of race or the varieties of man is found in Genesis 11:19 that we read. Verse 1 states that all mankind spoke the same language. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. This is completely contradictory to evolution, which teaches that language evolved from animal sounds to speech, and finally to language. <laughs> Lord help us. Because there was no language barrier, all men on earth conversed freely with all others. Just think of what that would do toward relieving international tensions today. Men could communicate with each other with full understanding, but man lost the ability due to his sin and his disobedience. 
Now watch this. Such was the situation at the Tower of Babel. The people congregated and built a great city which was in direct opposition to God's express command to scatter and populate the earth. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, what everybody? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Because of their disobedience, God confused their language and scattered them over all the earth. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building. Can you imagine? Hey, Joe, hand me another. Can you imagine the panic attack you would have if suddenly you can't understand anybody? I mean, it just had, really, that's something I'd like to see. I wish I could go back and see the Tower of Babel. <laughs> because that must be real. <laughs> the act of confounding the language of man seems to imply that many different languages were created and that each family of people had their own separate language. Now, hear this carefully, because I think this is what happened. Scripture says it is. The division was not based on skin color or physical characteristic, but on familial relationships. Families or tribes of people were given a common language, and they separated from the other groups speaking a different language because I can't understand the thing you're saying to me. How many of you ever felt like Babel was in your house? <laughs> How many times have you ever had a fight with your spouse and said, you're not understanding anything that I'm saying? Well, you're not understanding me. Well, think about if all of a sudden it was... I mean, it would be major. All of a sudden, nobody, except God, I believe by families and by tribes, God gave them the same language. You say, Pastor, you really believe that happened? On the day of Pentecost, God instantly gave a language. He gave many languages. So, yeah. So the only people you're going to go run with are people who understand you and who you can understand. Very important. It's important to realize just what was occurring in this incident. As the people began to group themselves together, they began to migrate. They began to migrate in all directions away from Babel. At Babel, they were homogeneous, similar, alike people. But with God giving them different languages, they separated and became, in time, heterogeneous, differing, unlike, varied. So you began to search through the crowd, who understands me? And you bound together, and you began to migrate away from Babel. I get the hint, God. You don't want us here. God did not indiscriminately change the languages of the people because to do so would have broken up and confounded families. He didn't make families not able to understand each other. He's not going to destroy families. The genealogies of Genesis 10 extend past the time of confusion of languages, so it would seem that God kept families together by giving them the same language. So if, you're, if you can't communicate in your home, there might be a lot of reasons. One of them could be actually literally demonic. Because God did not confound families. He, could, he separated peoples so they would have to obey. But he kept families speaking the same. 
Uh, Genesis 10.5 states that God divided them by language, family, and nations, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. At this point, it's very important to keep in mind that as these groups of people migrated further from the Middle East, they became isolated. Say the word isolated with me. Real important. If you're going to understand how races or variations in man happen. They became isolated from other groups. Families were generally grouped together and for the most part migrated in one general direction. To illustrate, the following is a selected list of names from the genealogies of each of Noah's sons. With the general geographical location associated with each from history, I don't want to bore you. Let's just go through this quickly. Let's take Japheth. The descendants of Japheth we know from Scripture, the Indo-European of Western Asia and of uh, Europe. You can read about in Genesis 10. Okay? Descendants of Japheth, Gomer. Probably the Sumerians, which are mentioned by Homer as the people of the far north. They are believed to be identical with the Sumerians of Roman times and the Semri of Wales. You can read about all these peoples in any dictionary, any encyclopedia. Magog. Josephus, the Greek historian, and other Greek writers generally relate them as the Scythians of southern Europe, also associated with the Tartars of Russia. Madai, Medes, who lived in the area of the Caspian Sea. Yavan, or Javan, comes from the term Ionian, which means Greeks. I know this sounds like Greek to you, but it matters. And I'll sum it all up in just a minute. The descendants of Ham were the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, the Libyans, and the Canaanites. Cush, peoples of Central and Southern Arabia. The Ethiopians are shown as being inhabitants of both sides of the Red Sea. Also, they had a skin of a different appearance, according to Jeremiah 13.23. Pictures on monuments show that they were a mixed race, some black-skinned, some Semite, and some Caucasian, from Ham. This is a very important fact, and it will be referred to later. Mizraim refers to areas of upper and lower uh, Nile River of Egypt, thus a reference to Egyptians. Put, generally associated with the Egyptians, and more specifically, Libya. Canaan, the area settled by Canaan and his sons, was west of the River Jordan, and Zidon, named stood for the whole Phoenician coast. Now here we come to the descendants of Shem, and out of Shem's genealogy came who? Jesus. Shem, the peoples of the Middle East and Southern Asia. Eber, Abraham was the sixth generation of Eber, who settled in Mesopotamia in the area of Ur of the Chaldees, and God called Abraham out of where? Ur of the Chaldees. Elam, geographically the region beyond the Tigris River, east of Babylonia. The Elamites became a strong nation and were recognized as sovereign by the Babylonian states. Asher, the Assyrians of the headwaters of the Tigris and Euphrates River, Lud, or Lud, the Lydians of Asia Minor, and Aram, the Arameans of Syria and Mesopotamia. And let me just sum this up for you. From these observations, it seems that Shem's progeny settled in the Middle East, Ham's people went south into Africa, and Japheth's descendants migrated north into Western Asia and Europe. So from those three, they went and they populated the earth. And isn't it Amazing that the Bible gives us a real good idea of where they all migrated. Now, it's important to recognize that from the Bible and from history, it cannot be said 
that Shem fathered all Orientals, Ham all black people, or Japheth all white people. Note that the Ethiopians are represented as being all three colors. This is a good example which shows that Ham produced peoples of varying colors. This point will become more evident when one sees the importance of genetics and how it works. Now we're going to look at the role of genetics. Everybody say, student I am tonight. <laughs> All right, here we go. How genetics work. At this point, three things should be evident. First, race is a term which attempts to define physical characteristics of peoples and seeks to group them together. Second, the physical characteristics appear to be closely associated with geological locations. People who have the same combination of physical characteristics generally come from the same area on Earth. Third, as in the case of Ham being progenitor of white, black, and yellow peoples, the same physical characteristics can appear within any group of people. The explanation of these seemingly confusing conclusions is found in the study of genetics, or the physical characteristic generator in man called the what? The gene. Now let me just take you on a quick little science lesson and you're going to get it. Webster's defines gene as, in genetics, any of the elements by which hereditary characters are transmitted and determined. Each mature reproductive cell carries a gene for every inheritable characteristic. And thus, an individual resulting from the union of two such cells receives a set of genes from each of his parents. It can be seen from this definition that it is the gene which determines the physical characteristics of men. Each parent contributes his or her genes to their offspring, and the child is a product of both. The father of genetics, Gregor Mendel, made this observation. A gene may be recessive, and in the presence of a dominant gene, it becomes latent, not causing the formation of its trait. In a later generation, it may occur, not accompanied by its dominant partner, and so produce its characteristic trait. When the male sperm fertilizes the female egg, the genes of each are mixed. Some genes are dominant over other genes, and these produce the physical characteristics of the offspring. An example would be a mother having brown eyes and a father with blue eyes. They could produce either brown-eyed or blue-eyed children. If the child produced would have brown eyes, it can be seen that the genes which produce brown eyes won out over the blue-eye producing genes and are the dominant ones. The blue-eye producing genes are called latent. And although they did not produce blue eyes in this mating, they are present in the child, and they could in later generations. My mother and dad had four children. Uh, three were blue-eyed, and I was the only green-eyed. My dad had blue eyes. My mother had the green eyes. So I carried that gene. When Kathy and I had children, both my children have green eyes. So what was primarily recessive in my mother and dominant in my dad became dominant in me and in my children. So they have the green eyes and didn't get Kathy's beautiful brown eyes. Um, 
But we all understand this about genetics. We understand it's the gene. This is what God did. This is the way God made us. Are you with me? Are you with me, Sandra? You're looking at his eyes? Look up here at your teacher. When you go out and eat with Sandra and Frank, they'll get you into a habit real quick. Every time they bless the food, before they eat, they kiss. It's embarrassing. You know, at first, uh, the first time I went out with them, went alone, they were together. Before I know it, they're kissing. I kind of, yes, Lord. And then I realized they do this every time. So now, when I go out with them and other couples who have gone with them and also been corrupted this way, as soon as the blessing is done, they all kiss. It's a kiss-in. So, So you learn to kiss after the blessing or feel real stupid. Yeah, yeah we do it now, yeah. Especially when we're with them. Now, look, look at this now. When we look around us today and see all of the different physical characteristics and people and relate this to Adam, who was the first man, we can see that in Adam the potential combination of genes was enormous. Francesco Ayala states that on the basis of only 6.7%, where he got this word, I think he made it up. Hetero, heterosocity, what it means is gene variations. So if you only have 6.7% of gene variations in a couple, the average human couple could have 10 children before they would have to have one child identical to another. That number is far greater than the number of atoms in the known universe. Considering this fact, it's easier to understand how Adam produced all the different varieties we see in people today. Also, very important is the evidence that after a number of generations, there appears to be strong evidence that certain genes become dominant and the variability of characteristics is limited once those dominant genes prevail. This does not mean that other genes are not present, but it does mean some genes, once they reach a point, become dominant and continue to be dominant in future generations. This only occurs with inbreeding or selected breeding. Now we come to the crux of the matter. This writer who wrote this little article writes, an example would be my registered Irish setter, Sam. He's the product of selected breeding over many generations. As a dog breeder, one basic rule I quickly learned was that to produce an Irish setter, I had to breed a male and a female Irish setter. This is where the term pure breed comes from. In other words, in Sam's historical bloodline for several hundred years, only dogs of the same family were bred together. No other breed of dog was allowed to crossbreed into his bloodline. The key to producing a particular breed is, say it with me, isolation from other breeds. The genes which produce the red-colored hair and general physical appearance of the Irish setter have become dominant by selective breeding and consistently produce the same characteristics over and over again in every generation. Through the example of Sam, we see that isolation of a group of dogs from other groups of dogs produces what could be called race. Note, however, that even within the race or breed called Irish setter, there is still much potential for variation. Now we come to the isolation of peoples and genetics and where we're going with this. We have seen that the descendants of Noah's three sons were generally, what everybody, dispersed over all the earth. 
Also, the physical characteristics of any of the sons were not exclusive to his progeny. Each could and did produce different colored offspring. The most important factor in reaching an explanation for the origin of race is the understanding that as the migration from the Middle East proceeded, contact with other groups became less frequent. Finally, the group became isolated from all others and the groups became smaller. Because of this isolation, men and women married within their own group. Keep in mind, incest was not forbidden until Leviticus under Moses. Until then, if there was, was not uh, 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 marriage within families, you have no populating of nothing. Well, at the count of three, everybody say, ooh, and get it out. One, two, three. Ooh. But that's the way it was, man. <laughs> All right. Now, as they went through the Middle East, as they migrated from the Middle East, contact with other groups became less frequent. The groups became smaller. Because of this isolation, men and women married within their own group. Thus, inbreeding took place within an isolated group and between kin. It had to. An example of how isolation caused particular characteristics in a group of people would be the American Indian. The American Indian originated from Oriental peoples who came across the Bering Strait, which connected Eastern Asia and Alaska. As they migrated south and east, they became isolated from the peoples of Asia. American Indians are considered to have Asian or yellow-skinned roots, but differ from Asians of China and Japan. One must assume that genetics caused the American Indian to be somewhat different from others of Asian descent. By moving into North America, they became isolated from other Asian peoples. Their group was at first small. They married among their kin from within their group. The dominant genes of the group surfaced within a few generations and began to produce the general characteristics which are common to the American Indian today. Some groups moved further south, continuing to talk about this migration from the Middle East. Some groups moved further south in time into Mexico and South America, and they too became isolated. This isolation caused somewhat differing physical appearances in each group. Anthropologist Thor Heyerdahl, he had to have been a scientist, studied the people of North America and the Pacific Islands for years. He has shown that the Polynesian people came from North America and migrated in boats to the Pacific Islands. The isolation of these people produced the Polynesian race. Without isolation, it is unlikely that race would have ever occurred. It's a vital part of understanding how genetics cause the different physical characteristics of isolated groups of people, which we call races. It wasn't evolution. It was genetics. Simple laws of genetics. Here's the conclusion. We're doing good. Everybody say amen. As Noah's descendants migrated from the Middle East after the Tower of Babel, their numbers grew smaller as they extended further out. As the groups grew smaller, close kin intermarried, and certain genes within the gene pool became dominant, while others became latent. Within a few generations, these genes produced the skin color, hair color, and texture, bone structure, 
and other physical characteristics that made each group distinctive within its isolated geographical area. Generally, the people of Northern Europe were white, South Africans were black, and people of the Middle East and Far East were yellow, and all the other skin colors came somewhere from those. Race occurred because of the work of the physical laws of human genetics that Almighty God instituted. And if we had always understood this, we wouldn't have the nightmare of ethnic cleansing. We wouldn't have ever had a Hitler. We would not have ever had any notion that one race is superior to another because they're not. We're all God's chillin'. Some of you need to go home and pray about this. You're looking at me with furrowed brow. I hope I did make you want to go study. Go study it. If you find out something different, come and tell me. And you can teach next week. <laughs> now let's stand together. So, how was the whole earth repopulated after the flood? Three boys, name them, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives. Ah. What do you think, Kathy? Come up here and stand with me. And you're going to tell me what you think? I think that you hold the transparency the same way you drive. <laughs> Was it jiggling around, wiggling? Yes. Were you wrong? No. I'll tell you what I think. It's your dizzy problem. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight that there is no such thing as racism in the Bible. It's just not there. We are all who we are by the miracle of how you created man. And so we just pray, Lord, help us to love one another and help dispel the demon of racism in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless all of you. Thank you for staying a little longer. We've got snacks out there.